The following podcast contains explicit language. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's something independent wrestler and Philly native, the Blue Meanie, won't ever forget. Mick Foley went to hit Terry Funk with a, a flaming chair. He wrapped a t-shirt around a steel chair, which he had taped on, and he lit on fire, not thinking the fire would melt the tape. And the flaming t-shirt that was wrapped around the chair flew off and hit Terry Funk, and Terry becomes engulfed in flames. So Terry rolls out, and a fan reaches over the guardrail to try to put Terry out. The guy's arms got all burnt. The Philadelphia sports scene is known for its diehard fans, but also its scrappy, violent, hardcore teams. The Broad Street Bully Flyers, Buddy Ryan's gangrene, Smash Mouth Eagles defenses, the beer-guzzling 1993 Phillies. But there's hardcore and there's extreme. And when it comes to extreme, nothing touches Philly's professional wrestling scene. Terry Funk comes back to the locker room and does what I call the Terry Funk death march. And he's just walking. And he picks up, you know, those big fa- fans that have the stand and they just, they're supposed to cool a whole room. He just picks it up by the arm and throws it. He's just, you know, angry. Yeah, so that happened. That's Brian Heffron, better known as his pro wrestling alter ego, the Blue Meanie. And this is a true story. It happened here in Philadelphia nearly 30 years ago at a show for Extreme Championship Wrestling. ECW ran shows out of a South Philly warehouse with no working air conditioning. It had pioneered the hardcore wrestling style in North America. Weapons, no rules, no holes barred. Just one example of how Philadelphia has made an impact on the pro wrestling industry. The city's influence can still be felt and seen to this day. Philly will always be known as a, a wrestling town. The history is deep. Somebody should do a book on Philly wrestling. Hey, at the very least, how about a podcast? Philadelphia kind of became known as like the hardcore capital of wrestling and it hasn't gone away. If anything, I think it's just evolved to a different, you know, different level. I think Philadelphia's contribution to pro wrestling is is the Philadelphia fans are the ones that inspired Philadelphia wrestlers to kind of think outside the box, to change the story. When the word wrestling is seen by someone in Philadelphia, their eyes are in the headlights and they want to go where, when they want to go. I'm Andre Bennett. I'm Tim Jimenez. And this is The John Cast a podcast about interesting and unexpected stories from Philadelphia, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. Today, we're going to go back in time and tell you how pro wrestling as it is now wouldn't have existed if it weren't for Philadelphia, and how to this very day, the city remains a huge part of pro wrestling's DNA. It is a great time to be a wrestling fan, especially in Philly. WWE's annual flagship event, WrestleMania, is coming to the link in a matter of months, and those who know pro wrestling know 
it's only appropriate that the city of brotherly love hosts the biggest wrestling show of the year. After all, professional wrestling wouldn't be where it is today without Philly. For one thing, so many of today's superstars cut their teeth in Philly, from WWE's Seth Rollins to All Elite Wrestling's Brian Danielson. Maybe you think pro wrestling is kid stuff. Or maybe you were a wrestling fan as a kid and grew out of it. Except for a couple years in high school, I've been a fan ever since I was small, about when I was six. My dad and I would watch Glow together, you know, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. But then came Hulk Hogan. He had this cartoon, Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling. And from there, I found the World Wrestling Federation on Saturdays, right after cartoons. Superstars, wrestling challenge. I was obsessed. You know, I couldn't go anywhere Saturday mornings, and I would not be happy if I had to go out somewhere with my parents. I had to watch those shows. Same, same. You know, I was so obsessed. I, I actually asked my parents to get the masking tape and wrap the tape around my wrists. You know, tape up like a wrestler, like Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan was one of the many legendary wrestling superstars who came through Philly. But they weren't of Philly. When you think about wrestlers who didn't just come up through Philadelphia but were from this area too, Blue Meanie's got to be near the top of the list. My earliest memory of watching professional wrestling was 1982. I was living in a small town called Gloucester City, New Jersey, right over the bridge from Philly. I, I, I went out of my house. I went over to my neighbor, my buddy, Sean. I was like, hey, Sean, you want to come over and watch the Phillies game? He's like, no, I can't. I'm watching wrestling. I went, what's wrestling? That was the bug that bit me. I was hooked. Back then, the WWE was known as the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, and it was the wrestling show in the Northeast United States. But ultimately, WWF fan, mainly because they came to us, they were at the Spectrum once a month, go to the shows on Saturday night, and then you watch a Sunday morning on Prism. Just great memories. Did you also go to any of the uh, NWA shows at the uh, Civic Center? Not only did I go to the NWA events at the Civic Center, I went to the uh, Great American Bash at Veterans Stadium. It was headlined by Ric Flair versus Road Warrior Hawk, which was pretty pretty cool for our first time going to the vet. So back before Vince McMahon turned the World Wrestling Federation into a national pop culture phenomenon, the wrestling business was really a patchwork map divided up into territories with defined boundaries, and almost all the promoters running those territories were members of the National Wrestling Alliance, which was kind of like a wrestling cartel. Wrestling journalist Bill Apter experienced the territory era firsthand. Now he lives in the Philly suburbs, but before he settled here, he traveled the country covering the industry for magazines like Pro Wrestling Illustrated and Inside Wrestling. I've been in the family of pro wrestling for 51 years, not just with the people in the business, but I have a love affair with, with so many of the, uh, the fans, too. Don't tell my wife that, but no, but I do. <laughs> I really do. Everything there is to know about wrestling and everyone there is to know in wrestling after knows. I knew The Rock since he was a pebble, so, so to say. It's an old cliche, but I used to travel with his dad, Rocky Johnson. And Dwayne Dewey would be in the back seat, and he and I would be driving shotgun, and he and I were doing imitations together. Oh, give me a snooker. Give me a Dusty Rhodes. And I say, now you try it, and he'd do it. We had a good time. Each territory had its own company with its own local television show and roster of talent. And the NWA enforced those territorial boundaries, but also connected to the territories by having one world heavyweight champion. The territory system was all but dead in the early 1990s, when ECW really put Philly on the map. ECW was something that changed the wrestling fan forever. Forever. I'm not going to say I blame them, but the wrestling fan from back then is not the wrestling fan we see today. The wrestling fan we see today is 
more knowledgeable about the goings-on behind the scenes. They know now that pro wrestling is a work. It's scripted. But when we were kids, we had no idea it wasn't real, you know, for the most part. The, the whole thing was kept under wraps. No fan before ECW came into this world would yell out, you effed up at a, all a crowd in unison, 2,100 people in unison, complaining, you effed up, you effed up. You, you didn't do that in a wrestling show. You, you ignored it. But that fan was a wise, an excellent, wise-ass fan. And they, they were very, not only passionate, but they were involved. I mean, they had matches where, you know, you could bring weapons for the, uh, the wrestlers to uh, use in the ring. They were very, they were extremely interactive and it was extremely violent. One of those matches saw after get involved in the show to his surprise. One fan brought a frying pan. I was between Mick Foley and Terry Funk. I had brought with me a friend of mine who thought all wrestling was fake. He was sitting in the front row. They gave him a complimentary front seat. His nickname, I always called him Bro Joe. And you say, Billy, Billy, this stuff is all fake. Okay, can you get me in? Sure, I got in front row seat. So a fan hands Terry Funk the frying pan. Terry Funk looks at me, goes, after what? Boom, right over my head. A hard frying pan. I went down and I blacked out. Nobody came from my rescue. I just got up. After the show... Bro Joe says to me, Billy, Billy, you faked that so well. Right. That's my real ECW story. To understand ECW back then, you really have to understand where it was. And where that was, was a building on the corner of Swanson and Rittner Street in South Philly. Half of it was the Foreman Mills that my parents would shop at from time to time. The other half was the headquarters of the Vikings. Mummers chapter. And that's where it got its original name, Viking Hall. But when ECW started to run the building, it quickly became known as the headquarters of hardcore ECW Arena. ECW Arena was where Brian Heffern got his break. That's where the Blue Meanie was born. I got into ECW through um, just hustling. I want to be in ECW because I used to go to the shows as a fan. You watch a lot of those early ECW shows, I'm in the crowd as a fan. In the early to mid-90s, ECW was the place to get noticed by the dedicated wrestling fan base. Hardcore wrestlers like Sabu, Tommy Dreamer, and The Public Enemy became fan favorites, while young standouts would cycle through ECW on their way to even bigger things. Some of those names you might know. Rey Mysterio, Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, and even Stone Cold Steve Austin, a bona fide WWE legend and Hall of Famer. The fact that I was a part of the roster and while watching people trying to get in was humbling because I was, I was just a kid, you know, breaking into the wrestling business. One of the big names in ECW back then was a wrestler named Scott Levy. He kicked around the wrestling business for years and even had a stint in WWF as a slimy manager named Johnny Polo. But in ECW, he found fame as this brooding, charismatic character named Raven. And he helped Brian create the alter ego of Blue Meanie. It was just, you know, a matter of just, you know, being lucky enough to have the instinct to know I needed to be at these shows, getting on those shows, and then just making that contact with uh, Raven, which changed my life. You know, some people sit around and wait for the, the phone to ring. You, you, sometimes you have to go out there and pound the pavement and put in the, put in the work. 
Raven paired Meany with another Philly guy, Stevie Richards. The two of them started out as part of Raven's Nest, but fans came to love their comedy bits, including their spoofs of other wrestlers and pop culture figures. Out of all of Meany and Stevie's bits, the BWO was the most over with fans, and by over we mean popular. The Blue World Order was a parody of the New World Order. Meany, in particular, spoofed the bad guy, Scott Hall, as the blue guy. Mention the blue meaning to almost any Philly fan of a certain age, and it's almost a sure thing the BWO will come up first. A lot of my good memories, you know, all the parodies, BWO, of course. We did the parody of Kiss. And from the BWO, Meany would go on to his biggest break. I was in ECW for in ECW from 95 to 98. And it was almost to the date I debuted for ECW that I debuted for WWF. Meany was doing an indie show in Pittsburgh. When he got home, there was a message waiting for him from former ECW and WWE wrestler Al Snow. You know, the guy with the plastic head. I was doing an indie show in Pittsburgh. I came home and there was a voicemail from Al Snow. Hey, uh, Meany, give me a call when you get a chance. Called him back. Uh, he's like, hey, uh, are you under contract to ECW? I went, nope. And he goes, if there was a, an opportunity to go, perhaps go to WWF, would you be interested? I said, yep. <laughs> Simple as that. There was another twist, something special. The WWF would make their next stop in Philly. And based on nothing more than the stars being aligned, that's where the Blue Meanie would make his debut in his hometown. It was the first Union Center then. It's gone through so many different ages. <laughs> they were splitting the building, maybe with the Flyers that day. So I, I, I show up, I debut. Uh, it's, it's, it was pretty cool to debut at the first, first Union Center. Anytime I go to an event at the First Union Center, I look at the door I ran out of to go make my debut. Uh, it became uh, a really cool journey, you know, getting to live the dream as a, a kid who grew up on WWF. So far, this might sound like a storybook tale, but Meaty didn't have it easy. He had to overcome a major hurdle. I grew up uh, severe asthmatic, and uh, that hindered everybody's perception of what I was going to be growing up just because I couldn't participate in a lot of athletic events. You know, eventually my, my lungs got better. I, my family found a good doctor and my asthma got a little bit better, but I went out for the football team. I couldn't play football because I was allergic to grass. So it's just like, I'm telling everybody I want to be a professional wrestler. And they're like, that's cute. He was proud of himself. He also felt good for his family and the people who helped him realize a dream. You only have a certain amount of time to make money in this business. I went to WWE and I uh, walked a couple feet from my bedroom into the living room where we were living on a, a second story apartment. And I told my uh, grandma, I put all the bills on my name. And she's like, well, well, why? I was like, oh, I have to sign with the WWF. And her and my mom were like, oh my God. And uh, from then on, you know, I was able to take care of my mom and grandma who took care of me. So it was, it was just a natural evolution. It had to be done, you know, and I, every now and then I would get one of those, you sold out chants out in public. I'm like, all right, whatever. I was doing the thing I always wanted to do that nobody believed I could do except for me. Brian spent three years in the WWE during its most popular period, the attitude era, then returned to ECW. But ECW's days were numbered. In fact, it was a victim of its own success. WWE and its biggest rival, World Championship Wrestling, took notice. 
The big two companies added more sex and violence to their shows and hired away ECW's biggest stars, like The Sandman, Mick Foley, Taz, and even Raven, as they battled for dominance in the industry. ECW would eventually become absorbed by WWE. WCW suffered the same fate. And for Meany, it was the end of one of the most magical times of his life. I debuted for ECW in Philadelphia. I debuted for WWE in Philadelphia. And I had my only WrestleMania moment at the uh, WrestleMania 15, which I got stuck at the chair right there <laughs> in Philadelphia in, in front of in the city I was born. You know, so a lot of people don't, don't get that opportunity. They don't get the opportunity to debut for two of the hottest companies during the hottest era of wrestling, but to do it in your hometown in front of, you know, friends, the local fans. You know, that if you wrote a movie about it, you'd be like, ah, oh, it's just corny. paraphrase Sting, the wrestler, not the singer. The only thing that's for sure about pro wrestling is that nothing's for sure. So change has always been a part of pro wrestling, but the start of the 21st century would bring about an even bigger upheaval. The end of WCW and ECW was just the beginning. What did this changing landscape mean for the next generation of wrestlers, especially in a market like Philadelphia, which had long been a stronghold for the indie scene? Philadelphia has always been like a working class town. And I think that the people identify with wrestlers in a different way because of that culture. Literally, we're, we're all fighting for, for our lives. We're fighting to make our dreams come true or our happiness. How Philadelphia overcame the loss of ECW and thrived as a hotbed for the next generation of pro wrestlers. Next. There's nothing quite like the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid when it comes to exhilarating efficiency. With hybrid technology and thrilling capability, these vehicles deliver an electrifying performance on every drive. This new year, discover for yourself what truly makes these hybrids special. Redefine your driving experience with Honda, KBB.com's best value brand of 2023. Contact your local Honda dealer today about the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid. This is the John Cast. I'm Andre Bennett. I'm Tim Jimenez. We're looking at Philadelphia's lasting impact on the professional wrestling scene. And there's no better place to see evidence of that impact than in Suplex Vintage Wrestling on South Street. My name is Woody Cumatat. I'm one of the managers over at uh, Suplex Vintage Wrestling. When Woody started with Suplex, it was just a high-end streetwear store named after a wrestling move. Then it expanded into vintage clothing. We looked around and we realized that over our time of, of picking up consignment and doing things, we've gotten gathered so much wrestling stuff because it was truly our passion. And looking at our vintage shirts, we have, we have so many wrestling shirts. And we kind of thought, like, is it crazy? Can we, can we do this? Can we just open up a full wrestling store? So we moved some of our vintage stuff aside, shut down the store for a little while, put some chain link fence, some barbed wire. And uh, reopen it back up again as a as a, a vintage wrestling store, and and now we have literally one of the best selections in the entire world of uh, wrestling under one roof. And he is not kidding. I feel like my head would have exploded yes. if this if this place existed when I was uh, when I was back here. There's a copy of No Holds Barred. Oh yeah, which is great. There's, we got to visit uh, Suplex last August for their SummerSlam watch party. 
And to see fans like us and wrestlers sitting together, eating pizza, joking around, watching the show was a testament to the tight-knit nature of Philly's wrestling community. It's, this, is, this is an amazing room, and this is an amazing place. There's not many other places I feel like you would find a place like this. It was definitely boisterous, and there were a lot of chants, and there was a little bit of singing along to the theme songs. A lot of energy in there. Suplex also hosts meet and greet events, bringing in everyone from Japanese stars to WWE Hall of Famers. And all elite wrestling referee Bryce Remsburg is also a Temple University graduate. Go Owls. But more important to our story, he learned his craft in our area at the Wrestle Factory School and broke out as a referee for Philly independent companies like Ring of Honor and Chikara. Like the Blue Meanie, he also grew up in the area. In his case, a few hours from Philly and Palmyra, a suburb of Hershey. Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man Randy Savage, these larger-than-life, incredible, colorful characters. And then I started, you know, my eyes were opened again when I was about 15 or 16, about 1998 or 1999. I started attending independent wrestling events, you know. There's no guardrails. The ring is right there, and tickets are only $10. And, you know, it's basically going from only knowing about you 2 or Bruce Springsteen or big arena rock bands and finding out there's this thing called, you know, there's independent local music in front of you. Bryce fell in love with the independent wrestling scene and wanted to get involved, but there was just one problem. I am fragile. I am not athletic in any shape or form. I realized that maybe, you know, I want to be a part of this, but I don't know how. And then, you know, the, the idea of refereeing opens up. Bryce's story is a perfect example of how wrestling itself isn't the only way to punch a ticket into the pro wrestling industry. You could be a referee or maybe an announcer. But for a lot of people, the dream is becoming a wrestling superstar on the biggest stage possible. And for another Philly wrestling diehard, that's a goal that has never been closer than it is now. I, Drew Gulak, born at Abington Hospital just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, hereby give full consent to Andre to use this audio for whatever the hell he wants to do with it. Drew was born in the late 80s and first remembers falling in love with wrestling when he was only three or four. My parents didn't know anything about pro wrestling, but a friend of the family used to invite us over to watch the pay-per-views. And that was like my first like experience with, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan and Undertaker and Macho Man and Yokozuna and all that stuff. You go in and out of phases like throughout life. Like I fell out for a few years and then got back in. Like that took me right into indie wrestling in like 2003. I went with um, a biology teacher from middle school to CZW. And then, uh, then I got hooked on indie wrestling, but I kind of fell out with main, mainstream wrestling at the same time. What was happening in the pro wrestling scene in Philly around that time? If you recall, ECW had been absorbed by WWE a few years earlier, and that left a bingo hall-sized crater in the wrestling world. There was no one company around that could fill that hole. But perhaps there were a few. When ECW went away, there was like a big void in that, that third tier level of like wrestling shows, you know, combat zone wrestling filled the hardcore wrestling gap, like pretty well, right. When the internet was starting up, you would get these video clips of guys flipping off of trucks through glass, you know, or setting themselves on fire or falling through the ceiling. And it looked, uh, it looked insane. Um, and it was right, right in, you know, Deptford, New Jersey or, or Sewell, New Jersey, and then in Philly and South Philly. CZW, or Combat Zone Wrestling, started running in 1999. 
In 2005, Drew debuted in CZW. A couple of years after CZW got up and running, another independent promotion in Philadelphia came along, Ring of Honor. ROH started running out of the Murphy Rec Center on 3rd and Shunk in South Philly. CZW is going to be the hardcore promotion, and Ring of Honor is going to be the technical wrestling promotion up the street. That ECW hardcore wrestling crowd was craving that too. And they were both at the same time able to capitalize on um, a big opening in wrestling. And it all happened in South Philadelphia in one of two buildings. There were plenty of other wrestlers who came of age during this period of indie rebirth in Philly too. The five foot ten Brian Danielson was a former ROH world champ, and now he's a megastar considered one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Seth Rollins was another former Ring of Honor world champion. Back then, he was Tyler Black. He was a lean, six-foot-one high flyer who also went on to a major WWE career. And then there's CM Punk. You may have heard of him. He's another early ROH standout who has gone on to become arguably one of the most popular and most controversial pro wrestlers ever. Like Drew Gulak, who was also 6'1", these guys were all smaller than your prototypical wrestling superstar back then and helped change the perception of what a pro wrestler and a world champion could and should look like. And all of them first made their mark in Philly. But there was also a third indie option here, one with a much different vibe from both CZW and ROH. And that was Chikara, founded by two indie wrestlers, Reckless Youth and Mike Quackenbush. And it employed both Bryce Remsburg and Drew Gulak. If you wanted to learn like Lucha Libre the right way, you either had to grow up or move to Mexico or you could go to Chikara. Everywhere else, it was kind of like they were just copying footage. Chikara was like, this character comes in here and then, you know, it branches off into this direction and then, oh, we can take it and go this way. And that's just a very comic book style storytelling that they would do. And it was, uh, yeah, a whole different experience. The birth of these three companies led to opportunities for aspiring wrestlers like Drew. We would go out of our way to go and train with them because we knew that, you know, they had a higher quality of international influences and stuff. And that was the only way we could grow. Drew wrestled all over the place on the indie circuit. When he wasn't on the road, he trained back at the venue that was once the epicenter of the indie universe, the ECW Arena. Yes, even though ECW was defunct, its spirit lived on through the old ECW Arena. No matter what its name was, New Alhambra, Asylum Arena, or what it is now, the 2300 Arena. The arena also made a cameo in the movie The Wrestler, along with a deathmatch star named Necro Butcher, one of CZW's top talents. Drew got to know Necro Butcher as he was coming up. The ECW arena was special to both of them, and it played a key role in Drew's development. I usually quote Necro Butcher because he said something really cool to me one time. He's like, if you can get over at the ECW arena, you can get over anywhere in the world. They are the most picky, fickle, diehard, pride themselves on being the most knowledgeable fan base, probably in any fan base for any sport or any performing art. And wrestling is no different. Drew got over in a big way, winning the CZW world title and tag titles. In Chikara, he did double duty, wrestling as himself, and also winning titles and tournaments as one of the company's masked superhero characters. So now he's doing his thing in WWE. All of that grinding paid off in a big way in 2016. That's when WWE came calling. I do not for a second take for granted how awesome my job is right now. Drew was one of several indie wrestlers picked to compete in the WWE's Cruiserweight Classic Tournament. 
that's where he showed the world what Philly already knew, that he's a world-class pro wrestler. And even though he didn't win that tournament, he won something more important, a full-time WWE contract. The people I get to work with are like the people I watched growing up when I was a kid and uh, who have managed to stick around or like uh, fantastic wrestlers who have you know amazing accomplishments. Now he's on their NXT show, leading his no-quarter catch crew of young technical wrestling standouts. He also works behind the scenes as a coach, helping to not only shape the next generation of professional wrestlers, but also to train celebrity guests like Logan Paul and even Bad Bunny for the rigors of the ring. I'll be like the first one out in the ring on show days to go and warm up in the ring. And I'll be standing there. And um, I know in my heart I belong there, right? But I'll still be able to look around and see like, there's the WWE logo on that turnbuckle. Mm, that's not that's not a big, shiny flat pad like we had on the indies. That's That's like a nice cushion, you know? And these ropes are real ropes. They're not cables. Like, I don't take that for granted. The summer of 2022 was the beginning of another tectonic shift in the wrestling business. From competition between WWE and All Elite Wrestling to internal upheaval at WWE, but one of the biggest announcements of that time was that Philly will host WrestleMania 40 in 2024. It'll be the first WrestleMania in the city since 1999. I'm really excited for how we're going to handle WrestleMania. That's Shay McCoy. Shay's an indie wrestler who, like Drew and Brace, began their pro wrestling journey at the Wrestle Factory before moving to the Worldwide Dojo in Bristol, which used to be the original Ring of Honor Dojo. So in the host city for the week leading up to WrestleMania, there will be a lot of independent wrestling events as well as events from companies like Ring of Honor and New Japan. And they'll be running WrestleCon is a big one. It's a big convention for pro wrestling that also puts on these big super shows with a lot of like once in a lifetime matchups going on. Just like the Super Bowl in the NFL or the Final Four in college basketball, WrestleMania brings an entire sports community together. There will be no shortage of pro wrestling activity in Philly during Mania Week in the beginning of April. There's something for everyone, from international indie shows, to conventions, to wrestling-themed rap concerts, and everything else in between. It's a lot more inclusive than you might think. There's also The Collective, which is primarily run by an independent company, GCW, that hosts a lot of their own shows, a lot of like specialized shows hosted by pro wrestlers like Effie's Big Gay Brunch, which is featuring LGBT talent, or like Ali Catch's Real Hot Girl Shit, which features all female wrestlers. And it's pretty much just an opportunity for independent wrestling to show up and show out and be a part of what has always been the biggest weekend in sports entertainment. WrestleMania week also includes live WWE shows at the Wells Fargo Center leading up to and coming out of the big event. And Drew Gulak is just as excited to see Philly in the spotlight. I'm just happy when people get to go to Philly and like try a cheesesteak at like a, a real one, you know, for the first time or they get a nice soft pretzel. Like that makes me happy. So I know lots of people are going to be in town for that. Just the fact that they're all wrestling fans too is the cherry on top. And then you're going to have locals there who are going to be screaming the entire time. WrestleMania 40 will be the next big chapter in the city's wrestling legacy. And for Drew, being on the show is the dream he's been chasing. 
He has a chance to bring some of that Philly indie grit to wrestling's grandest stage. My life is solely dedicated on being able to make an impact at that show. I don't have any goals, really. Like I've never been that guy who's like, I'm going to do it one day. Like, no, WrestleMania 40 is going to be in my backyard. And I have lived and breathed professional wrestling, I'd say, more than anyone else in the entire active wrestling roster that I'm with right now. Like, I, that's how I feel. I feel very strongly about that. No one's in the ring more than me. I've never been more motivated for anything. Drew gets the backdrop. He appreciates all of it, what the city has given to the industry he loves. From the down and dirty attitude of ECW that inspired the gritty 90s wrestling boom, to the super indies that spawned the next generation of wrestling superstars, there's no doubt that the Cradle of Liberty, Philadelphia, is the cradle of professional wrestling. For WrestleMania 40, there couldn't be a more fitting host. I would say if I was born anywhere else in the world, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be where I am today, that's for sure. And I think that lends itself to kind of the culture of Philly too, not just in wrestling, but in everything, in music and food and art. It's this weird blue collar, artistic, passionate town. It's not afraid to just be like, yep, we're a city. You know, here's all the stuff that goes along with that. It's the realism that comes with living there. Everyone's, it's the authenticity. And I've been around the world and like, it's hard to find anywhere else. Like I can't, I can't quite explain why. But I'm sure you could backtrack the history of everything and figure it out in some way. But it just, it's awesome, man. Very lucky. The John Cast is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcasts and is made in Philadelphia by Tom Ricker, Sabrina Boyd Circa, Myron Kaplan, Holly Stevens, and us, Andre Bennett and Tim Jimenez. Brian Seltzer has been our producer special thanks to all of our guests for sharing their stories and labor of love a pro wrestling promotion benefiting lgbtq charities you can find them on instagram at labor of love phl check out the show notes for more information on the rest of our guests and wrestlemania week happenings we got to give a big shout out to our presenting sponsor your delaware valley honda dealers get a deal you'll like on a honda you'll love be sure to follow the John Cast and KYW News Radio on X and all other social media platforms. You can listen to the John Cast free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you next time. Brother. <laughs>